0: Real quick, um, I'm completely unprepared because I forgot my clicker. So whoever was doing the music, do you have a clicker with you? I'm gonna need your clicker because I don't know where mine is. So somebody somebody stole my clicker. I'm a victim, I'm a victim. So Thank you. Um, by the way, so good to have Megan back. She was out for a few weeks. I mean, no offense, Johnny. No offense, but she's better. She's better. Yeah, she, no offense. Yeah, so, but um, And for those of you that missed it, last week was such a great time, wasn't it? That brunch that we had together at Rafferty's, that was a good time. If you missed it, there's still some eggs left over. A little, it might have turned a little bit, I don't know. Um, Listen, I'm excited about, the, it's always exciting, right, when you start a new series, and you get a new graphic up there for the series and all that stuff, and, and the name of this, it's 2 Peter, so it's the second epistle of Peter. I've entitled this series, Remember These Things, and uh, number one is things to remember, so I mean, I'm not very really creative, but <laughs> <clears throat> as we get into this, you're going to find out that there are some very important things that you as a follower of Jesus can never forget, But if I put you on the spot right now, like if I brought you, I'm not going to, but if I brought you up on the stage in front of everyone, I said, okay, give me the five most important things about Jesus that you need to remember. We have a little hum in there, Mike, if you could kind of look at that for me. Five important things about Jesus and his teachings that you need to remember. Could you name them? See, when faith is challenged by friends, friends, or by family, or by the world, how competently, confidently, can you recall those important things? Are you able to give, based upon these important things you should remember, a reasonable, rational, logical summary of defense of the teachings of Jesus? Why they are reliable, why are they trustworthy? Can you remember important things to enlighten those who don't know the truth and also at the same time encourage those who do? Look, of course, one person can't know it all. But I think there are some solid things that every follower of Jesus should be able to easily, quickly remember. Things that are critical to our confidence our ability to be these royal priests that Peter was talking about in his first epistle. Royal priests in a world that is hostile, that wants to corrupt us. And that's what Second Peter is all about. And if you'll see here, this is actually not our passage for today, but this is the key verse for the whole book of Second Peter. This is it right here. Here's what Peter says. Therefore, I intend always to remind you <laughs> of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, he says, I'm going to keep telling you even though you already know it. (laughs) I think it right as long as I am in this body or as long as I am alive to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, translation, to annoy you. (laughs) Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord, this, this is amazing as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. That's back to a reference from Mark 13 that we studied so long ago. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time remember these things. Isn't that beautiful? See, Peter wanted his readers to remember the teachings of Jesus the ones that Jesus personally taught him. And what we call this is the the, the teachings of Jesus that are pure, the pure teachings, we call this a, a word orthodoxy. Let me break it down for you. The word ortho means straight. The word doxy means teaching, so orthodoxy means straight teaching. Orthodoxy is critical to remember. It is the opposite of heterodoxy, which means crooked teaching. Orthodoxy is what gives us our confidence and the reliability that we can have in our faith not just historically but let me tell you something true orthodoxy can stand up to any challenge historically philosophically yes scientifically and theologically if it can't stand up it is not orthodoxy because it is not from the mouth of Jesus orthodoxy straight teaching shapes our core values It shapes our priorities. It shapes our lifestyle as royal priests who do what? Proclaim, live with integrity, and live with industry. Orthodoxy protects you from dangerous, destructive heterodoxy or crooked teachings or philosophies that can cause emotional, spiritual, social instability. See, that's what Peter wanted to preserve. He wanted to preserve the apostolic teaching that they got directly from Jesus. Second Peter was written to remind the church about orthodoxy. Here's our passage from this week, chapter 2, or it's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. It's not, we're not going to preach on that, but understand how he starts. He doesn't say, listen, I'm an apostle. He says, servant, humble. Servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith, this is beautiful, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, a faith equal to ours, whose ours? The Apostle's. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was trying to break down how I would start this, I said, there's no way I can preach all four verses in 30 minutes. So we're going to go 45 minutes to an hour. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. We're going to stay. But there's a lot I'm leaving out. But this is merely an introduction to the whole series, if you'll understand. So look at the history of what's going on here with this book as if Nero wasn't enough, right? Paul knows that the end is near. So what if you knew for decades, within maybe like a year or so, when your life would end? How would that impact you? Would it shape what's important to you, certainly? How would you spend those next two or three decades? How would it impact your priorities and your passions? See, Peter knew. Peter knew within a year or two when he was going to die. When Jesus predicted that the fall of Jerusalem would happen 38 years before, he said to Peter, and he told the apostles, that their generation wouldn't die before the fulfillment of the prophecies that we preached about in Mark 13. You can go back to that series to remind yourself about that Hope on a Hillside sermon series that we went through within Mark So that's what's going on. Peter learned 38 years ago, you're going to live and see Jerusalem fall, and then you're going to be gone. So fast forward. Peter's already written the first epistle around 64 or 65 A.D. Now it is between 66 and 68 A.D., right within that time. It's right before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The time is ticking. The clock is coming. General Titus, the one who who led the siege of Jerusalem and later became emperor, General Titus has actually begun his trek toward Jerusalem. And everybody knows it. And Christians who remember these important prophecies of Jesus, they see it. They've been hearing about it for 40 years. Wow, this could be happening. We better get out of Jerusalem. While everybody else is running to Jerusalem, all the Christians are leaving. Remember that. And between Titus and Nero's persecution, Peter knows his life, as he put it, in the body is nearing its end. His tone and his mood of the whole book are indicative of what I would call, if you had to ask me, what is it? the best way to describe 2 Peter? I would call it Peter's theological last will and testament. 2 Peter is his final reminder for all the churches that have read his first book, which would have been all of them pretty much throughout the empire. It is the final record of the apostolic orthodoxy that they received directly from Jesus. They are all very important things in the book of 2 Peter to remember. It's very similar, if you think back when we did our study on Philippians way back over, it is incredible to think, over five years ago when we did our first series on Philippians, it's very similar to the mood and motivation that Paul had when he wrote that book. Remember, he thought he was about to die and he said in Philippians chapter three, one, "'Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. That's what Peter or Paul was doing. He was saying, Look, I'm going to write it to you again, over and over again, and it's not troublesome to me. I want to do it, and it is good for you to keep hearing these things over and over. That's exactly what Peter is doing in 2 Peter. So you get that, right? The tone is very similar. And then Peter outlines the new enemy. See, Nero wasn't the only weapon Satan was using against the first century church with his persecution, his bloody persecution. Satan was also using false teachers that spread this heterodoxy, this crooked teaching. These were dynamic teachers, by the way, influential, intelligent, who called themselves, oh, no, we're followers of Jesus. But they were corrupting the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Matter of fact, they denied the concept of divine revelation of truth from God. No, truth is not objective. It's subjective. It's whatever comes to you. Get rid of all this idea that there is one truth. Don't even worry about the Old Testament teachings anymore. Yes, Jesus quoted them, but he really didn't mean to say that they had authority. Just forget about the Old Testament. They also rejected, uh, when Jesus promised he would return, they rejected the return of Jesus, dismissing the concepts of any type of eternal spiritual accountability for sinfulness. Don't worry about accountability for sin. The gospel isn't an answer for sin, actually what they taught was the gospel was a way to achieve a greater plane of spiritual existence beyond the physical world these teachers lived and promoted a hedonistic lifestyle empty of any evidence of transformation they embraced what what we call today moral libertinism don't worry about sexual purity don't worry about gluttony or drunkenness Or stealing just indulge yourself why because Jesus and the cross and him dying on the cross really wasn't about payment for sin it's merely an object lesson teaching us that this physical world means nothing it's not real it's a mirage stop worrying about the physical world grace isn't about forgive oh they believed in grace but they didn't believe it was about forgiveness grace was a release from the burdens of living that tiresome, righteous life the apostles said that we should live. Jesus frees you from all that. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. The cross has released you from the burden of fretting over what is moral or immoral. And churches throughout the empire had been infiltrated and corrupted by these false teachers seeking to corrupt the orthodoxy of Jesus and the apostles. You know what it is. It's really the same false teachers that we addressed, if you want to go back and get refreshed, in our series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Remember that, the Gnostics? This is sort of proto-Gnostics. Right before the Gnostics, these are the forerunners of Gnosticism. And frankly, it's the same stuff we face today. Truth is relative, it's not subjective, it's not objective, all those things. It's the same false teachers. And you know what's interesting is these false teachers that have risen up, they're part of Peter's warning in 1 Peter. He says there's an adversary constantly seeking ways to destroy your church. So that's the history of what's going on with 2 Peter, what motivates them, what's happening. Let's look at the uh, the spiritual or the theology side. I want to talk about escaping corruption. This is an important thing that he wants to remind them. He says, listen, you need to remember your standing. And verse 1 is a beautiful reminder of a core teaching that we learned in 1 Peter. And that's this. We're all equal in Christ. Whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free, or man, or woman, whether you're an apostle or you're not apostle, there's no one who has faith superior to another. Through the righteousness of Christ, God sees all of us as equal, regardless of our experience, regardless of our knowledge. You know why this reminder was important? Because these false teachers were claiming that they had spiritual superiority. And that's why they could justify their immorality. They had had a special revelation. And they mocked anyone who tried to live life like the apostles had taught them. You poor, pitiful, stupid people. Why are you trying so hard to be righteous and moral? Don't you see? All that stuff, none of that matters. You're wasting your time. You're so silly. You should be like us. You're wasting your time with all this proclamation, all this integrity, and all this industry. Look to us. We have the message of true liberty. Peter says, ignore that nonsense. Your standing with God isn't beneath them. In fact, your standing with God is equal with mine. And all the other apostles were all the same. So that's the first thing he wants them to remember. Remember your standing. Then he wants them to remember their nature. He says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine. Theos koinonoi, sorry, I'm I'm a little uh, rusty on my ancient Greek. (laughs) Fuseos, that's the phrase. It means a partner or companion with the divine. This is a beautiful, simple, unique phrase that occurs nowhere else in scripture. This is why I continue to believe, I believe that Peter, while Paul was the most educated disciple, I believe Peter was the most intelligent. He comes up with short, pithy little things like this. I mean, what he said in 1 Peter, it took Paul all of Romans to say, and Peter said it in five chapters. And he, Then he comes up with phrase, I could preach on this, partakers of the divine nature for a year. Don't worry, I saw some panic attacks starting to happen <laughs> in there. Relax. Peter reminds them that through Jesus, you have been given this new nature with new priorities, new motivations for life, this divine nature that you have become a partaker of is the result of you being called by Jesus, the great shepherd, into his flock. It is not just association with the church. It is actual transformation. When Christ called you, his divine nature transformed your spiritual DNA and a new life within you that sets you free. Not to the life that the false teachers want you to embrace, but a life free from the moral corruption in this world. Partakers of the divine nature can't live like the partakers of immorality do. It goes against our new divine nature that we are partakers of with Christ. In fact... Peter says, a life that escapes the corruption of the world is the actual proof that you want that you have this divine nature within you. You want to know for sure you have divine nature? You should have a life that is clearly escaping the corruption of the world. He says this right here. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then he says, I want you to also Remember your calling. See, this divine nature that we have become partakers of, it comes with something. It comes with an irresistible calling to a life of proclamation and integrity and industry. We've been talking about the priesthood, right, in 1 Peter. Church, I'm here to tell you, if the divine nature is within you, you are one who proclaims, lives with integrity and industry. This calling isn't some goal that we hope to achieve. It is a non-negotiable, unavoidable resort—a uh, result of those who are partakers of the divine nature with Jesus. <clears throat> Escaping the corruption of this world is the first evidence that you have been called by Jesus to this divine nature. You know, it's really hard to be this royal priest with integrity and be corrupted, Right? And yes, it does seem like a tall order. Look, Peter isn't talking about perfection here. But there is, according to Peter, and we'll see later on in our next passage next week, an unmistakable direction toward righteousness, integrity, personal purity. It's the same divine nature we received as the apostles received from Jesus. It's powerful. It's transformational. It is, in fact, a special, specific calling. That calling will result in a life of integrity, compassion, proclamation, sacrifice. People willing to choose discomfort for the sake of the kingdom. Please, Peter says, when these false teachers tell you to live like them, you need to remember you have been given a divine nature with a special calling. There's a lot there that we're going to be unpacking in this book. Let's get to the personal section today. Remembering is crucial. This was the sermon preview this week. Repetition is boring. It's also beautiful and comforting. Paul says, to me to write these things to you is not troublesome, it is good for you and me. So let's talk about some grace life reminders. At grace life, you guys know one of our core values is biblical. What do we mean by that? It goes far beyond just simply reverence for the Bible. Our core value of biblical is borne out in several ways. First of all, we are relentless in how we teach scripture with these three applications. What are they? History, History, what is it? And devotion. See, all of you know, I hope all of you know them by now. (laughs) Why do we do that? It's so annoying. (laughs) Why don't we just provide sermons with pithy topical lessons? Because we want to instruct you how to read scriptures on your own. We want you to learn how to remember these important ways to process and learn and discover truth, not just on your own, but also in community, whether it's in a grace group or here on Sunday morning. You need to know, man, I, I want to have a church full of people who can read a passage of scripture like no one else and say, you know what? Yes, it's confusing. Let's look at the history. You might even have to pull out Google or Bing a little bit to do it, and that's okay because <laughs> nobody else is doing it. We do this repeatedly to remind you that we believe these are critical orthodox foundations for interpreting Scripture. I don't know how you can read Scripture and not understand what it says if you first don't understand the history, the theology, and the personal section. People like to skip to the personal. Well, I've reminded you now for five years here and four years, for those of you that were with us at the Garden at Church of the Palms, you got to know the history. you got to know the theology before you can skip to the devotional side. There's a repetitive labor of love that we go through each week to coordinate our worship with the truth. More goes into that than you know. We keep meticulous record and organization of everything that we have preached or taught in video and audio for your easy reference. There have been many of you that have asked me for notes. I'll send you any notes we have from any sermon for a fee. No, I'm just kidding. It's free. (laughs) Completely free. But you know what? There is also very important orthodox themes that we repeat constantly at Grace Life. Like the definition of joy, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. Faith is a? See, I love that. That's awesome. We also let you know repeatedly that we are chosen by God. We didn't choose him. He chose us. We repeat these things so much, some of you even roll your eyes. But there is a reason, because they are important things to remember. Look, our goal at Grace Life isn't to produce a group of debaters who win arguments, although that's fun. (laughs) That's not our goal. We want to produce a group of faithful, strong, consistent royal priests full of proclamation, integrity, and industry. People who show evidence of this divine nature that they have been partakers of. Competent, capable messengers of orthodoxy. Because we are, in fact, partakers of divinity. Have you ever seen yourself as divine? What does it mean to be divine? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It's an escape from corruption. I pulled a verse from Colossians. Paul does a good job of explaining this here. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, can anyone relate? He has now reconciled in his body a flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what divine looks like, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Partakers of divine nature aren't perfect. But remembering these important things will have an impact on your life. There's no question. Because the world's corruption is everywhere. It's surrounding us. It's constantly trying to infect us. You think COVID is infectious. The world's corruption is far more contagious. But you know what's great? If you are a partaker of the divine nature, it will not allow you to be overrun by the world's corruption. Our calling results in a life more in line with our divine nature than the sensual nature and the selfish nature of the world around us. The divine nature of Christ creates actions and priorities and morality in line with the orthodox teaching of Jesus and his apostles. His divine nature is creating people who display the very attributes of the divine Lord. Love, humility, service, compassion, integrity. Those attributes are at the core of our proclamation to a world full of corruption. By the way, a world that we are no different than before Jesus and no better than after We've just been given the privilege of being partakers of the divine nature. Church, that's why Jesus went through all the trouble, in quotes, on the cross. And let me tell you something. It wasn't just to save you from hell, but to transform us here on earth by his divine nature. Because we have work to do here. He gave us, through his spirit, his divine nature, so this world won't corrupt and overwhelm his church. That's why orthodoxy and remembering it is so important. It reminds us of what the transforming power of the divine nature will look like in our lives. Look, this is not about religion. Repeating these things isn't about knowledge It's remembering what God truly wants for us, to escape the world's corruption so that we can be the best possible priests that we can be. That's why we must remember these things. Why we must constantly be reminded, even if we already know them, these teachings of Jesus. And when he calls us to be partakers of his divine nature, he has given us what Peter said everything we need for life and godliness. But unfortunately, we do often forget over a week, don't we? (laughs) How his divine nature liberates us from the power of sin. We forget sometimes on Wednesday or Thursday that we have everything we need to live powerful, influential lives of proclamation, integrity, and industry. So, we must remember these things. That's what this series will be. Maybe eight weeks, maybe 20, no, just eight to 10, something like that. We are going to compile for you, starting with what we saw today, a crucial list of things that you need to remember. Heavenly Dad, we are thankful for truth. Lord, it is not tedious for us to continue to go through and remind ourselves of these things over and over again. Lord, help us to get to the point where we love talking about these same things over and over. Because we need to remember them so that we can escape the corruption of the world. And Lord, this, this miraculous thing about being partakers of the divine nature, it's pretty crazy. And we confess to you, we really have no idea what it really means as far as the impact for us. But as we go through 2 Peter and we learn what it looks like, the things that we need to remember, the things we should watch for, I pray that for the hearts of those who are here those who are home watching on the live stream, that you would allow us to be open to hear the same things we might have heard before again. Because it is not tedious for us. It is to our benefit. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We all have things to remember. I'm excited about this series. You guys have a great week. Don't forget. And come back next week